is it a recession or not? Puberty blockers cause brain swelling and vision loss, according to FDA. We discuss immigration and what do pro-life state laws actually say about a mother's life. It's going to be a busy episode. I'm your host, Zach, and this is Zach's Fact Shack. Hello and welcome back to Zach's Fact Shack. I am your host, Zach. I am so glad that you chose to tune in and listen to this episode. We have had a record amount of listens in the last couple of weeks. It has just gone off the charts. And I want to thank you guys for listening, for getting it to your friends, to your family. It has been overwhelming, the response that I'm seeing uh, from everybody tuning in. And it, it is really, really awesome. But we can do even more. So once again, I want to remind you to tell your friends and family where they can listen to this podcast on their favorite uh, stream player. Maybe that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Stitcher, wherever you want to listen to it. But the best place to find me is at zacksfactshack.com. Right there, you can listen to the, to the podcast on the website itself, or you can go over to follow the, any of the links to take, take you to your own personal player. Go ahead and like and subscribe to the podcast there on your, per, on your favorite player, and make sure you leave a five-star review if you like the podcast. Now, let's not waste any more time. We have a lot to cover today. So is it a recession or not? It's honestly been really, really confusing. Um, What we're finding right now is that the White House is claiming that we are not in a recession. They are redefining what a recession is. We had spoken about this uh, on Tuesday's episode. They were redefining and saying that it's no longer a, it's no longer two consecutive quarters of declining GDP. That's no longer what they are considering to be a a recession. The problem is they're not telling anybody what a recession is. So no one knows at this point. It's very confusing. We have no idea what's going on with it. But what it looks like is that they're they're just stalling. They know that there's going to be a problem. They know that we are actually in a recession. But let's face it, you never want to admit that, right? If you're the party in power, you never want to admit that you are captain of the ship for a recession. You know, uh, you just don't want to admit that. So today, because I'm recording this on Thursday, today they released the GDP of the previous quarter. So now we've gone through two quarters uh, of the year. They have now released the information from that second quarter. The first quarter was a loss, was a contraction of the market. The second quarter was as well. Let me read from CNBC what they say. They have the headline that says GDP fell 0.9% in the second quarter, the second straight decline and a strong recession signal. The U.S. economy contracted for a second straight quarter from April to June, hitting a widely accepted rule of thumb for a recession, the Bureau of Economic Analysis reported Thursday. Gross domestic product fell 0.9% at an annualized pace for the period, according to the advanced estimate. That follows a 1.6% decline in the first quarter and was worse than the Dow Jones estimate for a gain of 0.3%. Officially, the National Bureau of Economic Research declare recessions and expansions. 
and they likely won't make a judgment on the period in question for months, if not longer. But a second straight negative GDP reading meets a long-held basic view of recession. Despite the unusual circumstances of the decline and regardless of what the NBER decides, GDP is the broadest measure of the economy and encompasses the total level of goods and services produced during the period. So CNBC is saying that all signs are pointing to a recession. You can look at your wallet and decide that there's, there's absolutely a recession. All a recession means is that the economy is no longer expanding. That means that people are not spending as much. Businesses are not spending as much. They're not expanding their businesses. They're not hiring as many people. Uh, they may be keeping those people they do have, but they're not expanding. They're not adding to those. They're not necessarily even increasing the wages of the people they have. Things are beginning to slow down rapidly. Now, on top of that, you have crippling inflation that, according to the government, is at 9%, though there's, it's, it's hard to decide what inflation, inflationary numbers are, but they do use, a, I think, maybe an outdated or overly simplistic method to figure that out. And basically what they do is, I think it's called the customer price index, and what they do is they basically, it's a quote-unquote basket that people that the average person purchases these goods with and that they fill up the basket what does that cost did that cost go up or down and they're saying that the cost in that basket is up 9.1 percent over the year over year in the month of june so what we're looking at is the the question is is, is that what average people actually purchased or not we don't it's not really we're not i'm not really sure about that because if you look at all of the items that people purchase, such as cars, they're up. Um, houses, they're way up. Gasoline, through the, the, the gasoline prices are to the moon, right? All of these things then add into the cost of producing material, which then adds into the cost of shipping the material, which adds into the cost of buying the material or whatever it is at the store that you're at. Those costs go up. So I don't know if it's truly 9.1%. I think that is on the low end of what the inflation truly is. I think that most people would be would be would not be shocked if they suddenly said that inflation was actually at somewhere around 15 to 20% inflation right now. I again, I don't know that for sure, but it is definitely far worse than what the Administration, current administration is wanting to let on. They will not admit that, that this is a rough economy right now. In fact, what, they're, what they are saying is that this is the best economy we've ever had. I am not five years old. So I remember 2017. I remember 2018. I remember 2019. I remember the economy exploding, right? I remember people getting jobs left and right. I remember wages going through the roof. I remember the incredibly cheap gasoline. I remember the incredibly uh, easy to obtain vehicles, computers, all of these things. Food was not as expensive as it is now. All of these things pointed to an incredibly healthy economy. And those things are no longer pointing to that. When people have to make hard decisions on whether they do get their medicine or they get their food, whether they get the gas or whether they get the food, whether they get the, you know, all of these things, they have to make those decisions. Nobody's comfortable right now. Nobody. Nobody's looking at this economy and saying, yeah, I love it. Let's keep this economy. Nobody. Unless you're the uber rich. And even they don't want to do that because they're not making as much money as they could. 
Nobody wants the economy that we're in. That should tell you without a doubt of where we are. We are not in a good place. We are not growing at the very best scenario. At the very best scenario, we are entering into stagflation. Let's say that we're not actually in a recession, but then we're hitting stagflation, meaning that this that growth has come to a screeching halt and inflation is still climbing. So the cost of everything, and here's the thing is let's say that 9.1% is actually is the true actual cost that people are paying extra. But have you noticed in cereal, in Gatorades, in all kinds of different products, the amount of things in the product has gone down. I think for most cereals that kind of dropped like two or three ounces, which doesn't sound like a lot, but you know, cereal's not heavy, right? So they're 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 decreasing the amount of things in the product that you're purchasing for the same price so that it hides the inflation that you're actually paying. So if you recalculated that back into and get the same amount of of stuff, the price would go up, right? So inflation is even worse than what people are actually seeing. That's where we're at. That's the problem that we're in. And that's what the Biden administration simply will not admit to. They will not talk about the reality that we're facing right now in our economy. And I don't think that's going to get any better anytime soon. I think that they are desperate. They know that they are at a crossroads, that there's not a whole lot of hope for their party in the midterms. I am not saying that the Democrats can't hold control. They absolutely can, especially if people determine to say that uh, something along the lines of we have uh, we can't trust our uh, election system, so we're not going to vote. That's a horrible decision, right? Because the only way that you're going to be able to stop, if there is any shenanigans, the only way you would ever be able to stop that is if you went out and voted and just added your voice in. Like, you know, you, if, your vote will not matter if it's not cast, but it will matter if it is cast. So would you rather not matter or matter? It's up to you. You decide. Both parties, I don't care. But you decide if your vote needs to matter or not matter in this election. I think that people understand that the policies that the Biden administration is pushing are extreme, they're dangerous, and they're not, they're not improving anything for us in the economy. They're not improving anything for us socially. Um, it's just bad on all fronts for the Biden administration right now. And I think that they are very, very likely to lose the House. I think you're looking at 90 to 95% chance on that. And I think they're likely, honestly, to lose the Senate. I think they're, they're probably looking at more like 60 or 70% on losing the Senate. I know a lot of people are saying that Walker is, you know, that's the linchpin, that they're not going to be able to, they're still, you know, they're not going to get Georgia's seat back. And that's a possibility. Um, I personally have no problems with um, Walker. Uh, I believe he is far superior to Warnock in his belief policies uh, or his belief system in his policies. I, I think that he's better. Um, I don't know that he's an incredible candidate. I think he'll be fine as a senator. Like I think he'll do what we want him to do, but I don't know that he's a great candidate. And so that's going to be a little hard. It's going to be rough. I think that if the current uh, projection of how many people are going to turn out to vote Republican into the state of Georgia holds, that I don't know that 
any number of Democrats are going to be able to overwhelm that. And by default, Walker will probably be elected. I don't know if that's going to happen or not, but that is definitely moving in that direction. Now, the next thing I want to talk about is the fact that the FDA has now put a warning that puberty blockers may cause brain swelling and vision loss in children. So let's let's talk about this for a second. So the big thing right now in in the culture war that we're that we're fighting, whatever side you're on, everybody, most people recognize that it is a culture war, right? Two different viewpoints uh, coming head to head in our culture. You have the idea that transgenderism is a real thing and not a mental illness or not a mental disorder. That the only way to treat transgenderism is to use puberty blockers to stop children from entering puberty and thus changing their um, bodies so that they would still be, they want them to remain prepubescent uh, so that they, if they're a boy, they don't turn into a man. If they're a girl, they don't turn into a woman, right? They want that to stop so that they can then mutilate and alter the body uh, so that they can become, they can align with the gender that they say that they are. That, that that by itself has many, many ramifications for problems, right, on its own. But now the FDA is warning that puberty blockers in children, which again, that's what they're used for right now is in children, they were used, and they may still be, but they were used uh, as chemical castration for sex offenders. That's what they were used for. They're used now to aid in the mutilation of child of children's bodies to help them to align with the gender that they say that they are. Now, I don't know when's the last time you saw and met with a kid or talked with a kid, but you know, two, three year old kids as you know, the left is saying that two and three year olds can absolutely tell you their gender. They can't tell you what, uh, they can't tell you anything else that matters, but they can tell you what gender they are, right? They, that, that, you ask them, you know, anything that, you know, what, what do you want to be? It's like, well, I'm a horse. Like, what? I mean, you, you're, you're absolutely not a horse, right? You are not a horse. So why would we listen to a three year old who says, I'm a girl when they're clearly a boy? Right? Why would we, why would we change that? Because kids make things up all the time. Kids, are looking at a world of make-believe. It's things that they don't understand, they can't comprehend. They need to be given structure to understand what the world is around them, not confusion. Let's read this article from NBC Montana about this FDA warning. Earlier this month, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration added a warning to the uh, gonadotropin-releasing hormone agonist, so GnRH agonists, commonly known as puberty blockers, indicating that there that there were serious risks for youth who take them. The, U, the U.S. FDA identified six cases in females between the ages of five and twelve who were taking GnR, GnRH agonists, which presented a plausible association between GnRH agonist use and pseudotumor cerebri. Pseudotumor cerebri, also known as idiopathic intracranial hypertension, occurs when the pressure inside their, your skull spontaneously increases, which can cause brain swelling, severe headaches, nausea, double vision, and even permanent vision loss, according to the Mayo Clinic. 
The agency considered the cases clinically serious and based on these reviews determined that the pseudotumor cerebri, idiopathic intracranial hypertension, should be added as a warning and precaution in product labeling for all GnRH agonist formulations approved for use in pediatric patients. The warning seems to conflict with U.S. Assistant Secretary of Health Levine's claim that there is no argument among medical professionals that youth's access to gender-affirming care, such as puberty blockers, is valuable and important. Levine's critics have charged that, they, that he is conflating opponents of LGBTQ equality with those seeking to limit minors from accessing certain potentially life-altering gender transition therapies. Quote, opponents of LGBTQ equality have targeted trans and queer youth to score political points, all to distract from the fact that they do not have any solutions to the problems that we face today, said Levine, speaking in their own personal capacity, according to Fox News. They have stopped so or stooped so low as to try to punish parents criminally for seeking gender-affirming care for their children who need it. Levine added, every major medical association agrees Gender-affirming care is life-saving, medically necessary, age-appropriate, and a critical tool for health care providers. Florida Department of Health spokesman Jeremy Redfern, whose agency updated its guidelines earlier this year to restrict minors from obtaining gender, gender transition therapies, told Fox News Levine's claim that, quote, every major medical association agrees uh, offering so-called gender-affirming care saves lives, ch- uh, child's kids' lives, isn't data. Quote, it appe- it's an appeal to authority that is in stark contrast to the best available evidence, Redfern insisted to Fox News. The Florida Department of Health is following the, ev- the, the evidence. The federal government is following the eminence. So what they're saying is, and I'm going to pat myself on the back for even coming close to be able to pronounce all of those medical terms. I was struggling, guys. But what they're saying is simply this. The risk of using these puberty blockers is elevated for children to have this brain swelling and vision loss and that they put this warning on there. To me, I think it would be better to wait, let your kid grow up, and maybe, and I think the, I think the statistic was like ninety percent of transgender kids grow out of it, and zero percent grow out of it if you start putting them on puberty blockers. So I don't know that putting them on puberty blockers is the best idea. Because, like I said, kids don't know what they're talking about. They don't understand basic reality. That's what the parents are for. The parents are supposed to help them understand what reality is. And if you're, you as a parent are going to let your child suffer by forcing them to try to figure this world out on their own, and you have the ability to stop that, to stop that chaos, to stop that confusion, and you don't, we have, I have a problem with you. I have a problem with you having the ability to help your child to better understand the reality, the reality of this world, and forcing them, and still forcing them to make choices without reality being shown to them. I think you're wrong. I think you are absolutely abusing your child at that moment. Maybe, maybe 
someone else thinks differently, and that's fine. You are entitled to that opinion. But I do believe that the reality is that if you're doing this to your children, you are abusing them. I'm sorry, I do. If your kid, if little Johnny comes to you and says, I'm a girl, you just tell him, no, you're not. You're a boy. And chances are he's going to be like, okay, and walks off and plays because he doesn't even know what a boy or a girl is at this point. Stop putting drugs into the kids that are dangerous. Stop it. We've got to change what we're doing. We are abusing children. We are causing them pain that's irreversible. It's not like your body's going to go into puberty whenever you're 30. It's not going to happen. So you, you put these kids on puberty blockers. They're going to have problems for the rest of their life. Their bones are more brittle. Their sexual reproduction doesn't, is, is non-existent. And it can't come back. You get one shot at this. And you stopped it. Stop. We, we, we don't even let. We don't even let kids get tattoos. Until they're 18. Because it's permanent. It's illegal for children to get tattoos. Yet we're going to let them make decisions on whether they can. Whether they are a boy or a girl. Your tattoo will not generally stop bodily function for the rest of your life. It generally won't do that. But yet it's somehow better for your child to demand that they take drugs because at one point they said they were a girl when they were a boy. No, that's not okay. I'm sorry. It's not. If we're going to say that kids can't, are, are not developed enough to know whether they should be able to drink, if they're not adult developed enough to be able to uh, get a tattoo, if they're not developed enough to be able to smoke cigarettes, then no, they're not developed enough to be able to make choices like that on, uh, about their sexuality. They're not, allowed to be, they're not old enough to make choices like that about their gender. It's not a thing. And parents, parents who do this, who are helping the kids to mutilate their bodies, I think should be treated just like the parents who are giving their kids cigarettes, who are giving their kids um, drugs, who are giving their kids alcohol. These are all things that are, Ill are illegal. You can't do this because it is dangerous. Why is that not illegal for parents to do to their children? Why? Why? It's because right now it is the um, it is the thing that is in vogue. It is the most recent fad. It's the thing that we we all want to feel good about ourselves, so we do this. I agree with the Florida Department of Health uh, director that the federal government is following the eminence, while Florida is following the evidence. I absolutely agree. I think that the evidence points clearly that this is wrong and it should not be happening to our kids. Now, I, I want to go, I want to talk about immigration because there's a lot going on right now at the border and I haven't really spoken a whole lot about it. So many of you might know that I have um, a personal stake in the matter when it comes to illegal immigration and people being able to be here um, and to be able to have a better life 
and these people that are in my life that are that have personally experienced this that you know coming here illegally um trying to make a better life for themselves having fixed that having gone through all the things necessary to fix that and to be able to rectify the the mistake that they made um I'm so glad that they have done that, uh, that they're able to be here without any issues, that they are able to live here as a permanent resident and they'll make a better life. Um, I am so glad that that's the case. No one is talking about all of this, um, all, all what's happening at the border. Let me, let me begin with the latest story um, that out of the border it's happened on, uh, or was reported that, this is from New York Post. More than 500,000 known Godaway immigrants have crossed the border into the U.S. but evaded capture since the start of the fiscal year 2022. That starts in October, I believe, according to a new report. Multiple senior Department of Homeland Security sources confirmed the number to Fox News on Monday, revealing that there has been an average of more than 55,000 known gotaways per month. Gotaways is a commonly used term for illegal immigrants who have been spotted crossing the border by agents or on camera but were not caught or processed by the officials. With less than three months left in the fiscal year, 2022 has already seen a massive increase in the gotaway uh, and the gotaway number from the previous year after DHS Secretary Alejandro Mayorkas testified in April that there had been more than 389,000 immigrants who evaded arrest in 2021. Looking at the two years combined, the department has tracked approximately 900,000 known gotaways, according to the report. That's one million people, nearly one million people, that we know are in the U.S. illegally in the last two years. These are the people that we know are in the U.S., not the people that got away and we had no idea that they got in, right? So it's it, one million is the absolute bottom of the number of people, the lowest number of people coming into the U.S. illegally. Here's the thing, guys. A lot of people say, well, that's great. That's We, we want these people to be able to get in here. It's like, okay, cool. I'm not saying that we don't want these people to be able to get in, but what I am saying is that coming in illegally is wrong. It's also dangerous. So here's what's happening. People are paying anywhere between three and $12,000 to get in to the United States from Latin American countries. If you're coming in from elsewhere, you can pay 50, 60, $70,000 to get in. Um, That's, the going rates right now to get into the United States. And the only way you can get in is by the cartels. No one gets in illegally without going through the cartels. And in fact, if you attempt it, you will be killed by the cartels. The border is more secure on the Southern side of the, on the Southern side of the border than it is on the Northern side because the cartels will kill you if you go through without paying them. So here's what they do. They will put, Rubber, they'll put bands, colored band, wristbands on your arm. And that tells the, the traffickers how much you still owe to the cartel to get, for getting across. So if you get across alive and you still owe, they'll make sure you pay that off. With the guys, the, guys, the, the young men, they will be uh, forced to uh, work for the cartels. 
maybe as mules, maybe as enforcers, whatever it is, but they will be forced to work for the cartels to pay off their debt. For the young girls, it's even worse. They'll pay, they'll pay off their debt in a brothel. But what they do with these brothels is, yeah, they pay you. They pay you a, a set rate for, for destroying your body. But what they do is they then charge you for everything, down to the sheets, the air conditioning, the blanket, the uh, water you use for your shower, all of this. They, they charge you for all of it. So that by the end of the month that you've been paid, you're actually in greater debt than you were before. Oh, that's fine. You just keep working. They'll, they'll, you'll get out of debt. Don't you worry. And you're trapped there until you become useless and, and then you're killed and put out of your misery. There's a story that uh, I was told. Um, The CBP, the Border Patrol, came up on a field north of the border where a six and seven year old girl had been brutally raped and had to have immediate medical attention to save their lives. The Border Patrol officers walk, uh, walk, stumble upon um, the dead bodies of the old, of the young, of the pregnant, of the weak, of the infirm all the time. We recently had a truck, an 18-wheeler, discovered, abandoned by the coyotes with 53 people cooked alive inside. There's nothing humane about the open border policies that we currently have. Nothing. Nothing humane about them at all. These are human beings that are being sold as cattle. This is the modern-day slave trade. And once again, once again, the Democrats are complicit in this. The Democrats were complicit 150 years ago with slavery, and yet here they are again not having learned their lesson the last time. They are again complicit with the slavery of these people crossing the border illegally. People I know that are good, godly people are like, the open borders are the most humane thing we can do, and the the reality is far, far from it. Texas is so exhausted that they they started doing something that was honestly unique and and seems like it may may have worked. Um, they have been busing immigrants from their border towns to Washington, D.C. 
but the federal government has also been busing and flying immigrants, illegal immigrants, from border from entry points all over the country to all like such places such as Chicago, New York City, Washington D.C., Atlanta, Nashville, Memphis. All of these larger cities they're being dropped in on to their infrastructure. This is from. Let me, let me read what um, American Military News actually wrote this. Um, on Face the Nation, um, on Sunday, D.C.'s Democrat mayor, Muriel Bowser, admitted that the capital city is overwhelmed by an influx of illegal immigrants who are being bussed from the U.S.-Mexico border. New York City's Mayor Eric Adams later echoed Bowser's frustrations. Texas and Arizona started busing illegal immigrants to D.C. earlier this year in an effort to alleviate the strain uh, the border communities are feeling due to the mass influx of migrants across the southern border. During an appearance on CBS Face the Nation, Bowser said the influx of illegal immigrants is a very significant issue and suggested that illegal immigrants are being tricked into traveling to D.C. Governor Abbott from Texas on Fox News said, we will continue the business, the busing process every single day for that reason, that for the reason that I think you mentioned earlier on, and that is the Biden administration has been dumping off these migrants by the hundreds in local communities that do not have the ability to take care of or deal with these migrants that are being dropped off. What he's referring to is many of these small, small towns um, in rural Texas and Arizona and New Mexico are having hundreds of people, illegal immigrants, dumped into their lap. And they have no homeless shelter. They have no infrastructure to help such a large quantity of homeless, jobless people. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that these the people that are being dropped off are bad. I'm not saying that these people are evil or that they won't work or that they're lazy or anything like that. I'm not saying any of that. What I am saying is, is that they have just been dropped off by this federal government with no help whatsoever at all. They're just dumped into these towns, and the towns have nothing, no way to handle it. So this, the, the states are moving them to the larger cities in the blue states. And they're telling them, because the blue states are saying, there's not a problem here. We don't have any problems. There's no issues. But the red states are saying, we can't handle this, guys. We need help. We've got to do something. And they're not listening. So they said, fine, we will give you the problem. So now they're paying to bus people up to these cities. And the cities are now saying, whoa, 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 whoa. We can't have this. This is, this is putting a strain on our resources. We can't have illegal immigration up here. And now they're mad at Texas and Arizona saying that this is your problem to deal with. And Texas and Arizona are saying, no, no, it's not. We need everybody to figure this out because this is bad and it's killing us. So you are going to get a small taste. So DC is now being overwhelmed. That's not even a, a, a full portion of the people that are getting into the United States. I can remember these are the people that have been found and have been processed. Not the people who got away. Not the people, people who were never even seen and crossed the border. Those people are not on the buses. So DC 
is still not seeing the full brunt of the issue. But the South is, the border states are, and they're desperate. They're looking for anything and everything they can to fix what's going on. And they are desperate. But let's look at the other side of the border. I ran into an article from the Los Angeles Times that honestly struck me as ironic in in all honesty. And it's because, let me just give you the headline. Californians and other Americans are flooding Mexico City. And some locals want them to go home. So here's the thing. This whole article, and it's a long article, is talking about the, the fact that Americans have found that it is incredibly cheap to live in Mexico City for the same for, for the price of a one-bedroom apartment in Koreatown, they can have a penthouse in Mexico City, where the average income is 450 dollars a month. That's the average income in Mexico, Mexico City. So it's quite easy for someone to come in who's making three, four, five, six, seven thousand dollars a month. It's like I can live like a king down here. The article is sitting here saying that this is bad. This is terrible. It's really good. It's not good. It's it's modern day imperialism. But if you say on the other side, hey, shut the border get people to stop crossing illegally. Let's figure this out. Let's try to protect lives. Let's see if we can adjust our laws to make it simpler to get in, but yet still be secure. Whatever we have to do, let's figure this out. That's somehow racist. Now, I don't, uh, what, what I think is racist is the idea that you think that only a certain race of people are crossing the border illegally. That's what I think is racist because what we do know is that people from Somalia, from Egypt, from Pakistan, from Afghanistan, from Iran and Iraq, from Germany, from Italy, from China, from North Korea, South Korea, Japan, people are crossing into the country illegally from everywhere. And they're crossing over through the southern border most of all. Now, many people do come in with visas, perfectly legally getting in, and then they don't leave. That's another problem we have to figure out. But the problem that we have right now is people that are coming in that we have no idea they're even here. That's a problem that we do have to figure out right now. And we're not figuring out because we have been hogtied by the left into saying that we can't speak about this or we're racist. Well, let's, let's look at from Mexico's point of view. I will not even pretend like I can pronounce this name. His name is Fernando. That much I can pronounce. We'll go from there. Fernando was sitting with friends in a cafe where he realized that, once again, they were outnumbered. Quote, we're the only brown people, said Bustos, a 38-year-old writer and university professor. We're the only people speaking Spanish except the waiters. Mexico has long been the top foreign travel destination for Americans. It's bountiful beaches and picturesque pueblos luring tens of millions of U.S. visitors annually. But in recent years, a growing number of tourists and remote workers hailing from Brooklyn, New York, Silicon Valley, and points in between have flooded the nation's capital, and they have not left. 
they're staying because it's so much cheaper to live in Mexico City than in the horrible, I'll use that word, horrible cities that they live in in these blue states with high taxes, high crime, and high rent. They can just go to Mexico City and live in affluent areas for the the price of a one-bedroom apartment, what a a studio apartment would be in New York. They can have a four- or five-bedroom apartment in Mexico City. The influx, which has accelerated since the onset of COVID and is likely to continue as inflation rises, is transforming some of the city's most treasured neighborhoods into expatriate enclaves. And English, well, it's everywhere. Ringing out at supermarkets, natural wine bars, and fitness classes in the park. At Lardo, a Mediterranean restaurant where any given night, three-quarters of the tables are filled with foreigners, a Mexican man in a well-cut suit recently took a seat at the bar, gazed at the English-language menu before him, and sighed as he handed it back, a menu in Spanish, please. Some chilangos, I think that's how you pronounce it, or as locals are known, are fed up. Recently, expletive-laced posters appeared around town. New to the city, working remotely, they're reading English, you are, effing, uh, you are an effing plague, and the locals effing hate you, leave. Now, I will have you know that if that was put up anywhere in the United States, especially near the border, someone would be found for a hate crime and arrested and put under the jail. I'm just saying, that's what would happen if that was stated by anyone in the United States that has even remotely a pale complexion. That would be racist right there, done, end of discussion. That's what that would be because that's what that is, according to the left. I think it's people who live in Mexico City are fed up with having their town become an expensive place to live where they've lived all their life. I think that's that's what they're mad at. The same as I think that that's what the people in the border towns of of Texas and Arizona and New Mexico are mad at and saying that, look, we just want to live our lives. Leave us alone. That's what we're dealing with. That sentiment echoed the hundreds of responses that poured in after a young American posted this seemingly innocuous tweet. Quote, do yourself a favor and remote work in Mexico City. It's truly magical. Please don't, read read one of the kinder replies. This city is becoming more and more expensive every day, in part because of people like you, and you don't even realize or care about it. Hugo Van Demera, I'm sorry, I'm not sure, 31, a video game designer who grew up in Florida and Nambia, and has spent the last several months working remotely from Mexico City, Montreal, and Bogota, Bogota, Colombia said he understands why locals are vexed by the growing population of digital nomads. There's a distinction between people who want to learn about the place they are in and those who just like it because it's cheap, he said. I've met a number of people who don't really care that they're in Mexico. They just care that it's cheap. Clear financial incentives are drawing Americans to Mexico City, where the average local salary is $450 a month. For the cost of a $2,000 one-bedroom in Koreatown, an uh, Angelo can rent, rent, rent a penthouse here. The vast majority of people in this crowded, colorful metropolis are unwaveringly kind and patient with international visitors who in the first four months of this year spent $851 million on hotels alone, according to tourism records. But there is friction beneath the surface as more locals consider the gentrification means for the city's economics, culture, and even race relations. 
yeah, that's that's the problem. Here, here's the thing, guys. People in Mexico City are terrified of what's going to happen if Americans keep buying up all of the houses, buying up all of the rent, renting up all of the, the the houses and apartments that are available, and driving the cost of living up. I agree. I agree that there is a distinction between people. There is a distinction between people who want to learn about the place they're in and those who just go to Mexico because it's cheap. I do believe that there's a distinction. The same way I believe that there's a distinction between people who come here illegally and people who don't. People who come here illegally, even though they may have the best of intentions, they're going to spend money. They're going to contribute to the economy. They're going to make things better. They're not here legally. Now, if you want to change those laws, so be it. Vote. Change the laws. But the laws are as they stand right now, and they should not be unenforced just because they're not, it's not the political du jour of the day. Like it, this, this has to be what, if we are going, if we're going to selectively enforce laws because I don't like that law, then why do we have a legislator? Why do we have a body of people that we elect to enforce, to, to create laws so that the, the executive branch can enforce laws? Why do we have the legislature at all? Why do we have that if we're not going to enforce the laws that are written? If you want to change the law, so be it. Otherwise, let's get shit rid of democracy. Because democracy, and this is not a democracy, it's a republic. I do want to make sure everybody understands this is a this is a constitutional republic, meaning that the law of the land that trumps everything is the constitution. That's what the constitution is. It trumps everything. And the constitution says that we have an executive branch that executes faithfully the laws of the that the uh, legislature puts out. That's what they do. And right now, the executive branch is absolutely in breach of their oath to the Constitution. I'm sorry, they are. You can impeach Joe Biden right now because he is absolutely in breach of his oath of office. He said he would defend and protect the Constitution from from enemies both foreign and domestic. Then you have to listen to what it says and do it. And it says that the legislature will make the laws and the executive will execute them. But they have decided that they're not going to execute these laws. So there you have both sides of the story. You have the side from the Americans. And the Americans want a place that's cheaper to live. They want to go to Mexico City. They want to have a great life. They love the culture. Uh, but you know they just, they just want it to be cheap. That's the only reason they're really going. Then you have people who are coming into America who are looking for a better life but are being trafficked and sold like cattle. They're being abused and murdered, raped and assaulted. And we won't even let, pick up a finger to stop it. Not even one. We won't do anything to stop it. Now, before we get going, because this is, episode is running long, I did want to cover something that's rather rather important. So, the crying refrain right now is that the abortion laws in pro-life states make it are either the, the, the statement is either saying that the, the pro-life laws either make it where it's illegal 
to do certain procedures that are to save the life of the mother, or they're saying that the doctors just can't figure it out, and so it might as well be that. Well, I'm going to read some of the more prominent laws that the people are upset about, and let's let's decide what we think actually is going on here, because I think right now the left is absolutely gaslighting and lying to the American people and trying to create confusion that simply is not there. It's just not. So let's first, let's look at Alabama's law. Alabama's pro-life law, and this is coming from the National Review, just so you know, that's where, that's where I'm getting this information from. Alabama's pro-life law, known as the Human Life Protection Act, took effect when the Supreme Court overturned Roe. The bill prohibits all abortions except for in cases when the mother's life is at risk. So here's the relevant text from the law. Quote, an abortion shall be permitted if an attending physician licensed in Alabama determines that an abortion is necessary in order to prevent a serious health risk to the unborn child's mother. The bill defines serious health risk to the unborn child's mother as, quote, in reasonable medical judgment, the child's mother has a condition that so complicates her medical condition that it necessitates the termination of her pregnancy to avert her death or to avert serious risk of substantial physical impairment of a major bodily function. This term does not include a condition based on a claim that the woman is suffering from an emotional condition or mental illness, which will cause her to engage in in conduct that intends to result in her death or the death of her unborn child. However, the condition may exist if a second physician who is licensed in Alabama as a psychiatrist with a minimum of three years of clinical experience examines the woman and documents that the woman has diagnosed uh, serious mental illness, and because of it, there is a reasonable medical judgment that she will engage in conduct that could result in her death or the death of her unborn child. The law also excludes the following from the definition of abortion. Activities done with the intent to save the life or preserve the health of an unborn child, remove a dead unborn child, or to deliver the unborn child prematurely to avoid a serious health risk to the unborn child's mother or to preserve the health of her unborn child. The term does not include a procedure or act to treat an ectopic pregnancy, nor does it include the procedure to act or, or to act to terminate the pregnancy of a woman when the unborn child has a lethal anomaly. In other words... You can end a pregnancy in the, to save the life of a mother. You can end a pregnancy if it is an ectopic pregnancy. And you can do all of these, and it def- clearly defines what abortion is. Abortion is the successful, this is a, it, abortion is a treatment that would be considered successful if the child dies. That is an abortion. Arizona, which is embroiled in a lawsuit, uh, was trying to reinstate its pre-Roe law, and that law says that abortion does not include birth control devices, oral contraceptives used to inhibit or prevent ovulation, contraception, or the implementation of a fertilized ovum into the uterus, or the use of any means to save the life or preserve the health of the unborn child, to preserve the life or health of the child after a live birth, to treat an ectopic pregnancy, or to remove a dead fetus. And so that's, again, all of the procedures can be done in Arizona. In Arkansas, a person shall not purposely perform or attempt to perform an abortion except to save the life of a pregnant woman in a medical emergency. Medical emergency means a condition in which an abortion is necessary to preserve the life of a pregnant woman whose life is endangered by a physical disorder, physical illness, or physical injury, including a life-endangering physical condition caused by or arising from the pregnancy itself. The act 
An act under subdivision 1A of this section is not an abortion if the act is performed with the purpose to I save the life or preserve the child the, the, the health of the unborn child, two, remove a dead unborn child caused by spontaneous abortion, or three, remove an ectopic pregnancy. Florida, which their their current law is under a challenge, but it's uh, the bill prohibits abortions after 15 weeks, with exceptions for cases when a mother's life is in danger or she is at risk of substantial impairment, or co- cases when the unborn child is determined to have a fatal fetal abnormality defined as a condition that will result in death upon birth or Im- imminently thereafter. Yeah. So again. We still have all of the exceptions. Well, let's look at Georgia. Georgia's law was put into effect after Dobbs, after the uh, appeals court overturned a lower court's order to stop it. This is a heartbeat bill, meaning that roughly at roughly six weeks, you can't abort a child if there's a, a heartbeat has been uh, found. But abortion is banned after a fetal heartbeat is detected unless, one, a physician determines in reasonable medical judgment that a medical emergency exists Two, the probable gestational age of the unborn child is 20 weeks or less, and the pregnancy is the result of rape or incest in which an official police report has been filed against the offense of rape or incest. Or three, a physician determines in reasonable medical judgment that the pregnancy is medically futile. So yeah, guys, I can keep going. Idaho, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisiana, Michigan. Mississippi, Missouri, North Dakota, Ohio, Oklahoma, South Carolina, South Dakota, Tennessee, all of these states, Texas, Utah, West Virginia, Wisconsin, Wyoming, all of these states have exceptions in the case of the life of the mother. All of them, without exception. Every single one of the states that has a pro-life law have always protected the life of the mother because pro-life people understand that losing two lives makes no sense. So we understand that if the life of the mother is at risk because of of a pregnancy, then it is okay if you cannot save the child to terminate the pregnancy because it is better to to lose only one life instead of two if you can't save both. We understand this. That's always been the case. I'm tired of hearing people say that that, uh, women that have ectopic pregnancies will just die. That's not reality. It's just not. An ectopic pregnancy absolutely gives an immediate danger to the life of the mother because if that child is, remains uh, outside of the womb, the child will not develop, will die, but it will continue to grow long enough that it could absolutely damage so the most common ectopic pregnancy is a pregnancy in the fallopian tube. The fallopian tube is not expandable. So when the child begins to grow and it pushes on this on the walls of the fallopian tube, it will cause the fallopian tube to rupture. And the mother could bleed out quite rapidly. This means that an ectopic pregnancy is absolutely life-threatening and can be handled with as soon as you know that it's the case. We understand that there are conditions that can be brought on by pregnancy to women that will kill them. 
We understand that. And again, it's why they absolutely have the ability to end a pregnancy when the life of the mother is at risk and the child cannot be saved. It's not that hard, guys. All you have to do is read. And any doctor who is saying that is happening, that they don't know if they can end a pregnancy because they don't know if the mother's life is sufficiently in danger. Well, here's the thing, guys. You absolutely do know that it's this simple. And if you're causing, if you're risking a mother's life just because you want to make a political point, then you should go to jail anyway for medical malpractice. That should automatically be what you, you are an evil person if that's, if you think that's okay. Because it's not, it just isn't. All right, so guys, that was the whole podcast today. I told you there was a lot to cover. We had a longer episode, but I really did enjoy getting to do this. And I really didn't, I am glad that you're back. I'm glad that you're listening. Uh, we're, again, we are just growing by leaps and bounds. We're having more and more listeners, more subscribers, more views all over the place. And it, I love it. I can't wait for to see where this goes. I, again, I want to thank you guys for sharing this for letting your friends know where to go to where to be able to listen it really does mean a lot to me and i want to thank you for that but this is the end this is as far as i can go today but i will again see you on tuesday with more facts from zach's fact shack i'm your host zach and this is zach's fact shack we'll see you next time <laughs>